Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Bibles over to uh, Luke chapter 6 today. Um, we were in Matthew chapter 6 last week. Um, we're going into Luke chapter 6. And as we get started today, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for letting us get together virtually, Father. We recognize how much we need your uh, power, your Holy Spirit, uh, your teachings. Um, it seems like um, the world is just kind of going crazy, Father. I pray that you soften our hearts, that we will truly um, follow you. Uh, we love you. Jesus, we love you so much. We want to do what you want us to do, and we want to be who you want us to be. And I pray for a soft heart. I pray for your Holy Spirit to um, spur us on. I pray for uh, just the courage to look inside of our own hearts uh, in order that we can see kind of what's in there and be grateful that, uh, Father, that you cover our sins. Thank you for that. Uh, but, Father, we also know that you don't let us stay that way either. You're refining us. You're, you're calling us to grow up and mature. Please give us courage to do that. I pray for unity in your church in the midst of of disunity in our world. And again, thank you as we read your word. Father, I pray that the words jump off the page and sink deeply into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we will go ahead and get started here in Luke chapter 6. And um, we're going to be digging into a section of Scripture. So in Matthew, ver- uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Um, That particular section of Scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Um, In Luke's accounting of it, um, much of the same teachings are rearranged, and they call it the Sermon on the Plain, okay? So so some of the teachings are very similar. Here's what I want us to remember, and again, maybe maybe it's one of those things where wherever you are, you need to take a deep breath and get locked in um, to this idea of remembering that these are the teachings of Jesus, okay? And why I say that is because we have to personalize that Jesus is the one doing the teaching here. I think sometimes what can happen with church, with Sunday morning service, with just discipleship in general, is they become depersonalized, um, like a depersonalized philosophy of how you live your life. And I think for us to follow Jesus the way he tells us to and the way he's built us to, we've got to have a curiosity about the person of Jesus. We've got to have uh, some some awe of Jesus. And everybody, you may be at different places. Some of you, um, you may be at this emotional boiling point of just you love Jesus so desperately and all you want is to hear his teachings and obey them and to help others do the same. And then there's 
maybe some of us that you're thinking, man, I don't know, I've never felt super emotional. The goal isn't like to have an emotional connection necessarily with Jesus. It's this idea of an awe of who Jesus is, an an awe of how he taught, an awe of how he was able to take what was normal in the world and just turn them upside down and then say, now come and live this way, okay? And it's, it's very important also to remember something that Jesus isn't forcing anyone to follow him. I think sometimes it's so easy. We read like very difficult passages or even we get in discussions and arguments with others and brothers and sisters um, in regards to passages that seem difficult And we forget Jesus isn't forcing us to follow him. He's simply saying, in my kingdom, this is how it will be. Now, come on in if you want to. But if you come in, if you follow Jesus, then we have to do the things that he says. When he says, this is how my kingdom will be, we understand that as the king of the kingdom, he gets to decide those things. So I think that's very important to keep in mind. Let's not depersonalize the teachings of Jesus into just a philosophy of doing good, but also let's remember that when he teaches us and really digs into the depths of our heart, instead of arguing or being defensive, maybe we need to remember that, oh, he is the king of this kingdom and he's teaching us. What will this be like? And in fact, this kingdom is so much greater. It's so much greater than the world we live in. And so just getting focused and sinking your kind of teeth into that as we begin here, okay? So let's open up, if you haven't yet, to Luke chapter 6. And you can go back and read this entire chapter. I would encourage you to do that. So Jesus begins his teachings, and there's a very similar, right up there in verse 20, he has a very similar Um, kind of beatitudes, okay? There's a little bit of a wording difference, okay? But essentially, it's really fascinating the way way Luke records it here. Um, There's almost this sense of materialism, this sense of if you feel like you've got everything now, if you feel completely satisfied with the world, if you feel like you don't have any needs, you feel completely comfortable and content, Jesus is saying, well, man, woe to you. Like, you're not going to really be seeking me out. But if you have needs and if you need comfort and if you're weeping and if you're mourning and if life can just be heavy, he's saying, well, that's great. Blessed are you. Why? Because you're going to seek him out. Okay, there's going to be this need. So it's really fascinating the way Jesus teaches about his kingdom. He starts out with this really radical call about examining our own attitudes toward towards materialism, okay? And that's very, like, boy, that will make you defensive immediately, right? Especially for us here in the U.S. is like, there's nothing wrong with that, except Jesus is saying, man, take a step back because when we have things and have lots of things, we tend to uh, just get very comfortable and very much like we're totally fine and nothing can shake us, okay? And he's saying, no, 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 let's, let's reject the philosophy of materialism. And then he gets into this idea of loving your enemies. Um, in, in his kingdom, he, he said, here's the essence of his kingdom is that we don't hate our enemies, we love our enemies. We bless our enemies. We pray for our enemies. And so what's different though, if maybe you've noticed this, okay? When we get to heaven with Jesus one day, obviously there are some of these things that are going to fall off, right? Because it's like there's not going to be enemies in heaven. There aren't going to be these, there isn't going to be materialism and this temptation of godlessness in heaven. But he's saying right here, as me and you live in this 
uh, in this world, this world that really has been tainted in every way by sin and these kind of crazy philosophies of how we can live this best life and everyone knows how to live this full life except what's fascinating with all of the philosophers and all of the self-help gurus and all of the talk shows and all of the podcasts Really, as Americans, we still are the least satisfied people probably in the world. Our level of depression is the highest. Our level of anxiety. All... What I'm saying is, is a lot of people have tried to give the answer to fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose and meaning. And it's really interesting. In just a few pages, Jesus cuts right to the chase. So let's take a look at this here. He, as we said, he talked about this materialism, this loving your enemies. Let's start in verse 37. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Again, picture Jesus just sitting wherever you are. It just picture him teaching, like verbalizing this to each and every one of us. He says, don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told him a parable. Can the, blind can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at that speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when you yourself don't see the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. So I'm guessing uh, when you hear this, when you read it, if you have been around Christianity at all, this is a passage that can have, maybe there's two camps, okay? And, and I, I agree. I mean, I get it. There's probably more than that, and I'm oversimplifying. But I'm trying to, like, there's two polarizing sides to this. When I read in uh, verse 37, don't judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. There's a group that's saying, oh, no. Uh, oh, no, this is bad. Oh no, this is this is not a good thing. Like this is everyone's going to go off the rails because if we don't judge and we don't condemn, if we don't like we have this then who is going to do the right thing? Who's going to hear the right thing? Who's man, we are going to go crazy if it's it's going to be this relativistic church that no one is involved with one another and all of a sudden we just are like preaching and proclaiming this idea of just leave everyone alone, okay? That may be a side you're coming from that initially, man, you're going there already. And then there's another side. You hear verse 37, you go, amen, amen, yes. We need more of this teaching. There's too many judgmental people. Christians are judgmental. That's why people don't want to become Christians because they condemn and they judge. And oh my goodness, I could go on and on about the judgmentalism of people. And in fact, people have judged me and I don't like it. And you have these two camps, the oh no and the amen. And certainly there's all of this in between, right? And we probably, most of us fit somewhere in between. And why I bring that up because take just one second to think about this. Neither of those responses 
give any credit for what Jesus just taught. All right, that's going to be the first thing. I think in our, you know, we, listen, we live in obviously a crazy time of quarantine and COVID and all of these kind of things. And everybody is like jostling to have new information and to be the smartest and the most and the wisest and, and, and all of these things. And everything is sped up in order to get heard and have our voices heard and have our opinions heard that we need to stop right here and Jesus, I want you to just picture Jesus looking you right in the eye, okay? And this is, as I'm studying this out, I'm, I'm not saying this like in this, you know, uh, kind of theoretical way. This is, this is totally what's helpful for me, okay? This is what makes this real, is Jesus looking me in the eyes and personalizing this, saying, Keith, listen, don't judge, okay? And have you ever had that? If you have children, you probably knows it, know this. Obviously, I have kids. I love them. They're awesome. They do the same thing I did when I was a kid. They do the same thing. Heck, I do this as an adult. Somebody will say something, and instead of acknowledging what was said, you argue a point that's already in your head. You become defensive. You become, And that's what can happen with this verse. Instead of Jesus going, hold on a minute, sit down a second. Did you hear what I said? Don't judge or you'll be judged. Don't condemn, or you'll be condemned. And again, there's this fear of going, but but Keith, are you saying, is Jesus saying like, then if I don't want to be judged, that means like I won't be judged by God at all if I don't judge other people. This is great. So I can just, everything's okay. And again, stepping back, this would even be a question I think we may ask Jesus, except we would have understood if we were speaking his language, like literally his language, here's what we would be hearing from this passage. And I want you to be thinking of these words as these all-encompassing words, okay, throughout these verses that we've read. The first one is this. Certainly there's no way that Jesus is saying don't make good judgments based on his teachings, okay? I mean, we know that from the basic teachings of the Bible. We see um, Paul writing to Timothy, and we see, hey, the Word of God is useful to correct and rebuke and encourage and train. And the implication to all of that is we have to make a judgment, right? We have to, Paul wrote to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 3, teach and admonish one another as the Word dwells in you richly, okay? So there's this idea of we've got to be making good judgments based on the Word of God, all right? What he's describing here in Luke 6 has much more to do with attitude than anything, okay? So when you think of this word, you hear don't judge, okay? This is what that kind of Greek word, okay? If, if Jesus was teaching, we would have heard this idea of your opinion and your, your knowledge and what you think is right, all right? Don't do that anymore, Okay, don't be judgmental. And I think we can all sit in a place. So here's, here's what's great about this verse. There's not a soul. There is not a soul on this planet that can go, yeah, I get that. I do it. Man, I'm glad we're talking about this because I know lots of people that need to hear this. Okay, no, no, no. There's none of us that are like that. We're all sitting in the same uh, dysfunction when it comes to this because the attitude that permeates this particular teaching of when Jesus says, don't judge or you'll be judged, don't condemn or you'll be condemned. The, the idea and the attitude that permeates this is an attitude of arrogance, an attitude of self-righteousness, an attitude and a posture of putting, 
putting ourselves above other people and looking down. Okay. Now, let, let's stop for one second because I'm going to say something here that may be wildly unpopular. Okay. Sometimes the things we hear in the teachings of Jesus, okay, um, sometimes we think, you know, we can be sitting here and going, yes, everyone else needs to hear this. So many people judge me. So many people condemn me. And here's what I'm going to say to the victims, okay? And I don't mean real victims. I mean the victimized. I mean those of us who are sitting here and you think everyone is against you and your relationships are dysfunctional and everyone judges you and everyone condemns you. And it's really easy to just sit in this self-apathetic pity, all right? Here's what I'm going to say is there's a chance that you very well may be the one that is judging and condemning and you've done it for so long. It's become such a normal part of who you are, okay, that you're reaping the consequences of that, okay? So when Jesus says this, don't judge, don't condemn, he says give, forgive, because there's this measure you use that will be used for you. And so I think what can happen, we can live a life and we forget there's consequences to how we live. We forget that there's a reason Jesus is saying, do this a certain way, because there are these consequences that come along. And I think what can happen, and I think this is a personal example, and I, I hope we all can understand this. When it comes to like being judgmental, looking down on somebody, condemning, like being so quick to, let me be right to tell you what's wrong with people, okay, is that we can measure that out with like, shovelfuls of judgment and condemnation. And that's all of us, okay? We can all look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know what? For sure. If you can't, I can't help you and Jesus can't help you if you really are just sitting here going, no way, no way, no way, okay? But I think, I think in most cases we can go, man, I shovel that out pretty easy. But look down one verse. He says, forgive. So he tells us, don't judge don't condemn. This isn't your spiritual act of worship, all right? The church isn't going to collapse without this idea of us being arrogantly judgmental and, and pridefully condemning. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Actually be good at this. Forgive and you'll be forgiven, okay? Forgive and you'll be, be good at that. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? It's like, here's what I want my people in my kingdom right here on earth to be worried about. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. He said, give and it will be given. All right, now let's be wise here, right? He's not talking about materialism. He's not saying, let's be careful that we don't like manipulate Jesus and go, oh, I want things. So you mean if I go and give my friend a gift because man it would be really great um, you know if i got some gifts from people so if i start buying those for people then i'll get those back no 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 listen jesus is not talking in the material okay he's talking in the relational he's talking in the spiritual so part of that philosophy if not all of it has to go away okay let's make sure we're not um, uh, manipulating this but also know this is a this is a promise, okay? So whatever our norm has been, like if we just shovel out like our normal posture is arrogant, looking down on people, you know, and we just shovel out judgment and you know everything about everyone's motives and you know every right answer and you know all of those things, then you have to understand that measure is going to be heaped back and there's going to be a consequence for that. And that consequence can be a whole lot of different things. But 
much of the consequences, bitterness, envy, jealousy, anger, lashing out, all of these things, just feeling victimized by humanity, okay? He said, here's a different way of looking at relationships. Be good. So that's a great question. How good am I at forgiving? How good am I at giving? You know, there are, there are some people they call, man, they are incredible when it comes to being a giver. In every circumstance, they think ahead. So if someone's coming over to their home, they're thinking ahead from everything on the coffee, the, the, the food, the seating arrangements. The, they're just thinking, how can I make this great for the people that are coming in to my home? There, there are some of you, when you go to a gathering of the church, you're thinking ahead of time. How can I go? Who has a need that I can give to that, that Jesus has given to me and I can give to other people? And you're so good at that. And you pray about that. And I'm telling you, that's what draws people to the church and to Jesus is that attitude. You think about that constantly. You know, when you go places, you constantly think, how can I give rather than consume? All right, those are the folks Jesus is saying that in my kingdom, this is how it is. How incredible is that? Can you picture a community of people and they do two things really well, forgive and give. They do those things really, really well. They're generous, they're generous with their time, they're generous with their money, they're generous with their things, they're generous with their heart, they're generous, okay? And you wanna know what? You might even have some conflict because we live in a world of conflict, but isn't it great if you lived in a community of people that were really good at forgiving, okay? Now, again, stop. If, if Satan is even Satan at all, okay? Um, he is planting things right in our head at this moment, okay? And if you're like me and every other human being, what can end up happening as we read this is we're thinking of everyone else who should do this. We're thinking of everyone else who's bad at this in our own estimation. And again, this is the beauty of Jesus' teachings. Jesus could say, listen, move up a couple words, okay? You're actually doing what I told you not to do. Don't judge, don't be judgmental, don't be condemning arrogantly with your own righteousness, with your own kind of superiority. And we find ourselves right now even doing the very thing because it's so natural for us. It's so, and so this is, this is why this is so difficult. If we don't, if me and you, if we don't want to really deal with this part of our heart, we'll never deal with it because this doesn't go away. This is so ingrained in our lifestyle to be arrogant and prideful and judgmental and condemning and you know my goodness we we live in a world wow in social settings the first thing and again i'm not a pro i'm not like a psychologist i don't need i know me i know my close friends i know what we talk about okay and it's this idea of first inclination the first uh, first thought going into a social group okay how can I be the best? Who's the best? Who knows the most? Okay, even if I have to start talking about a subject that I certainly know more than everyone else, that'll make me feel better because then I can be the best. Okay, there, why do I say this? Is because we live in this world where we instantly need to find an angle to be superior and better. And that, that byproduct is judgmentalism 
and condemning people. There's no room for love because we're elevating ourselves to look down and we're trying to, and, and we do good at that. Each and every one of us, we can find something. What am I better? And maybe I'm not the best at something, but I got to find people who are worse than me at something. And can you imagine, you see that and unfortunately that creeps into the church and then the church looks just like the world, okay? If we don't want to deal with this radically, we won't. Because this is such a natural, this is such a blind spot. This may be the largest blind spot, right? We, we want to know who the best is. We want to argue about who roots for the best teams. We, and we know why every team is better, okay? So if you're a Clemson fan or a South Carolina fan or a, you know, whatever, University of Washington fan or Texas A&M fan or whatever, it's like in our fan bases, we're so like, we know, and we know about the coaches, and we know about the players, and we know about their attitudes, and it's this idea of, again, like jostling for who's better, and even in a crazy, strange way, feeling better about ourselves. I'm going to talk about athletics here, okay, for a little bit. If you're into this, okay, you, you can feel better about yourself when your team wins, all right? I, I want you to stop for a second because, listen, I've been there. I, I've Thankfully, I'm so grateful to have been able to work as a trainer at really at a great football school at Florida State. Okay, it was a man, it was so great. I'm so thankful for that. But I know what was going on inside of me when my team won. I felt better about who I was in the scheme of society. All right, when I got rings and shirts and Nike gear and all of those things. And, and we do it here in Clemson, wherever you are, if you're into athletics, right, you do it as well. And I want you to stop, because I've had to look at this too, how sick that is. Okay, nothing wrong with having a, a, a favorite team, nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. When athletics, when academics, okay, when anything, builds us up to look down on other people, that is a sickness that we have to repent of. Whatever it is, maybe it's just some, a hobby that you enjoy. Again, academic, let's not leave academics out of this, okay? There's this idea of, wow, between my scores on tests and my grades and my major and my job and all that kind of stuff, if I could just get to a place and there's this maybe hidden, hidden place and maybe not so hidden, just like, you wanna know what? I, I, I'm better. In fact, here's how you may know. Okay. Um, as I was going through school, got my degree in sports medicine, loved it. Um, here's what I learned early on okay, in, in my um, academic career. We had to take a class on medical terminology. And you read that and you go, I know words that other people don't know. I know words that describe simple things. I know words that describe, but, they're, but they sound so good. And you want to know what? It, it makes people think, you know, some people are like, wow, you must know a lot because you know that supine is laying on your back, okay? Like, it's that simple, all right? Oh, you mean like pronation and supination, and you mean like anterior, and you mean dorsal, and you understand like, different muscles and tendons, and you can say all of those things. And here's the truth of the matter is, is it's just a joke being played on us. And I remember 
um, I went to work after um, after I worked at FSU, I went to work. Um, the orthopedic clinic in Tallahassee hired me to work out in very rural parts of uh, North Florida. And I would go to high schools that didn't have athletic trainers. In fact, most of them were very like agricultural based, um, uh, like little towns. And so I would go and check on injuries, okay? And one of the lessons I learned uh, was this idea of, you know, going out, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you sound better to have this idea of being able to talk above people. This happens even spiritually, right? We have, we can get all these like fancy words to talk above people in Greek and Hebrew. And sometimes those are good, but we have to learn, hold on a minute. You want to know what? Let me stop doing so much to elevate myself above people. Okay. Um, because, you know, I, I remember being really embarrassed because I had a young man and he broke his thumb and I was sharing with the coach, like, all of the anatomical structures that were broken and the coach is like dude is it broken or not <laughs> okay and i've gone golly what an arrogant idiot right come on keith and so anyway i share all that because i think that um that's not unique to me that's not unique to just guys it's not unique to different people it's not it's us in, in our realm to elevate ourselves. And so that's why this verse 37 is so deep. And so, listen, if there's going to be something that Satan's going to be like, don't look at that, it's going to be this right here. We've got to be really serious about dealing with this, right? Um, how serious? How serious do we need to be, okay? Anybody remember Aaron Ralston? Does anybody remember that name? Okay. You can you can watch the movie 127 hours, okay? This is a guy who is hiking in the canyons of Utah and this big old, you know, 600-pound boulder falls on like his arm and he's stuck. He can't leave and he didn't tell anyone where he was. No one would be looking for him. In fact, if they were looking for him, they couldn't find him. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have these things. And ultimately, at the end he realized I've got to cut my own arm off. I've got to take this dull blade and I've got to I've got to cut my arm off if I'm going to survive. Why do I bring that up? Listen, when it comes to arrogance and pride, and I'm telling you, it's like cutting off a limb. All right, it's going to hurt. We're going to rebel. We're going to be defensive. We're going to think we don't have to do it. And here's the truth: we got to. We've got to trust that Jesus is going. Listen, Jesus has this, and when He says, "Don't." be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be this judgmental know-it-all. Don't be this like condemning, like you are so righteous and everyone else is so unrighteous and you have all the answers and no one else seems to grasp your like knowledge of everything. Okay. When Jesus said, actually, instead of being so good at that, be really good at forgiving and giving. Okay. Be really good at that. Okay. This is going to be a fight, and it's not going to be a one-day fight, and it's not going to be a one-week fight. We're going to have to get a lot of light on this. I need a lot of people in my life that know this about me. Okay, I need a lot of people who are really courageous to say, you know what, Keith, you don't see this, but this is happening, all right? You're being arrogant, prideful, self-righteous. You're looking down. You're condemning and going, hold on a minute. When that's happening, there's no room for love. There's no room for love. And it's great about this, uh, about this passage is, Jesus moves on down and he develops this, okay? He develops this into this really, you know, we're, we're going to jump actually down to verse 41 here because it's really this kind of funny little story he tells. 
He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Okay, so stop for one second, all right? Can you imagine Jesus just coming up and saying, you, why do you look at that speck in your brother eye, brother's eye? It's, it's like Jesus knows something about us, okay? Is this idea of, let me start with the idea that me and you, when Jesus comes up to us, he's like, no, you have something wrong with you. You have something impairing your sight. And it's your own sin, and it's your own hypocrisy, and it's your own judgmentalism and arrogance, and your own self-righteousness. And he's like, listen, we got to hear that. He's like, why do you look at that? But you don't even notice it in your own eye, all right? And, and that's where part of our repentance process is slowing down enough to take a really honest assessment of our own pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and and our superiority on how we look down rather than love people okay and again I want you to be aware of Satan's scheme is Satan can just keep putting ever so slightly of pictures of people who you think they need to be like this they need it's not me it's them it's not me it's them it's not me it's them okay and the hard thing is to go no no no. it's me it's me it's me but no i've been hurt but i've been victimized but i've been no 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 no. listen it's me not them this is what jesus is saying and it's so hard because he just sometimes may have to just hold us by the shoulders and say keith it's you man okay stop thinking of everyone else why do you notice that? Why do you notice this speck? You don't notice the log in your own eye. He says this, how can you even help your brother? And so here's the deal. Here's the implication. You need to help your brother. We need one another. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be making biblical judgments about things. We need to be able to see the teachings of Jesus clearly to help one another. But he says, listen, how can you say, let me help you take that speck out when you don't even see the log in your eye? He says, that's, that's hypocrisy. First take the log out of your eye, then you'll see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. Okay, let's navigate these waters a little bit, okay? What he isn't saying is this. I think sometimes we can even hear, okay, this gives me a reason not to have hard talks with my brothers and sisters or for them not to have hard talks with me because I have to deal with stuff. No, no, no. He's not talking about, hey, take this log out and and you may take months to get that log out. It's this idea of, you wonder what, deal with that junk that's going on in your heart. Be dealing with it before you go and deal with something else in somebody else's life, okay? Is be dealing with it. Be in repentance. Be doing what you're about to share with someone what to do, okay? And he's actually saying something really cool. He says, listen, when we, when we trust Jesus on this and we go, okay, let me be real about me and my own pride and my own arrogance and my own lack of humility. Let me deal with Keith. Let me deal with me and my own self-righteousness and all of these things. You know what becomes, th- this, this is so true. Then we see clearly how we can help our brothers and sisters. And what's really amazing, there's like this magic trick that happens, right? Jesus is like, you do this and something's going to change because then we start seeing the things that are going wrong with our brothers and sisters, not from a standpoint of bitterness or anger or just coming down on them or, or, or whatever, but this idea of love and like, hey man, we're together. We're going to talk about hard things, but I know we're together. And let me share with you my repentance. Let me share with you that log. I had to take this log out and you know what? I know. Let me help you with this. Okay. You see how the kingdom of God is so much better when we trust Jesus's ways here. Okay. And so 
These are the words that just kind of stand out. Humility, personal responsibility, right? And, and, and both of these things, so you have humility, you have personal responsibility of saying, no, 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 it's me. It's me. I've got to deal with me and it's embarrassing and it's hard and, and I want to hide to do it, but I can't because I need light on it. That leads to harmony. Okay. It's this idea of Jesus going, in my kingdom, when you trust me and live this way, where you're good at forgiving and you're good at giving, when you're good at like personal responsibility and taking the log out and then helping your brothers in humility, when you're good at that, there's harmony. All right. When there's disharmony, there's sin, there's something wrong. Okay. And I think that the world is bombarding us with that. And I want to show just a couple of, of, of example, actually one example. Okay. But I want to reference second Corinthians seven, because if you ever have in your mind, like, okay, what does this look like? Um, go to second Corinthians seven in verse 10, and you actually read what personal responsibility looks like of ownership of my own mess, ownership of my own sin. If I'm feeling like everyone's judging me, everyone's condemning me, everyone's on me, I've gone, hold on a minute, I need to own some things probably, okay? And I'm not, I'm not including you. There are legitimate cases of people who are victims. I'm not saying that, okay? But I'm just saying, you know, as disciples, Satan kind of can put us in this weird place. And 2 Corinthians 7.10, where it talks about this godly sorrow that produces repentance, and this repentance is like this eagerness inside of us, this alarm at seeing our own junk, right? This earnestness to change and to see justice done. Okay, that's all about personal responsibility and action and ownership, okay? And this is a deal, man, is... Again, this is the part like cutting the arm. This is Aaron Ralston repentance, right? This is cutting your arm off that's under the rock because you're going, oh man, this can be painful going through it. But there's life at the other end of it, okay? And so again, just this is not an easy process if we don't, if you don't really want it, if you're not really curious about Jesus and why this is incredible and why this is about freedom, then then listen, you're going to stay under this rock, okay? And this happens to people who are in church all the time, people who have been disciples. It's like they stand under, they've got their arm caught in a rock. And instead of doing what needs to be done to change, they're staying stuck and then getting angry and bitter and yelling and screaming and feeling, how come no one's letting me out from under this rock? How come no one's doing it? How, look at everyone else. And, and, and we can just be that guy with our arm stuck in the rock throwing a temper tantrum instead of going, hold on a minute. You want to know what? That's my arm. I can, I can own this right now. Okay. It's, it's ownership. If you would like, let's actually turn to Romans chapter 12, okay? Because I think it's a great launching point from Luke 6 over to Romans 12. And, and, and Paul puts, um, puts some things onto this, okay? There's this idea of, okay, I, Keith, I would like a little more direction on how this should look in my life, okay? And I want to just share with you, uh, first of all, um, uh, a comment and a quote that I read this morning. Uh, and it's by a man named Louis Giglio. And he said, humility is not a character trait to be developed, okay? And so, again, think about that. Humility is not a character trait to be developed, but a byproduct of walking in the presence of God. Humility is not a character trait to be developed, but a byproduct of walking in the presence of God. When I'm not humble, I am, 
outside of the presence of God. I'm in my world. I'm in Keith land. I'm in, I'm the king of my kingdom, okay? When we get into the presence of God in obedience and in, 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 in love and yearning and desire to be close, there is a byproduct of humility because we cannot even imagine how great Jesus is without being humble, without being humbled, all right? So I just wanted to share that with you. But if you want a little bit more kind of like uncovering of, well, what would this look like? What would this humility, what would my life look like walking in the presence of God that would be in line with what he's teaching in his kingdom? Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. So you see those words. There's a connector right there. Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite. Paul right here is saying, love must be without hypocrisy. And again, we're going to go through this. This is not a section to go through quickly. This is a section to go through on your own. Detest evil. Cling to what's good. Again, look at this. There, there is a judgment that needs to be made, but the judgment is based on the character of God, the teachings of God. Detest evil. Cling to what's good. Show family affection to one another and brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, right? Be good at giving, right here. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, all right? When we're all arrogant and prideful and all that kind of stuff, when affliction comes, then all of a sudden we've got to like elevate ourselves and like just start going at things instead of let's be patient. Let's consider the teachings of Jesus, right? Um, So be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be in agreement with one another. Don't be proud, instead associate with the humble, don't be wise in your own estimation, don't repay anyone evil for evil, Try to do what's honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, on your part. Live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. Okay, some of you may have seen this little patch that I have on my backpack, and the patch says, Big Somebody. And a really good friend of mine uh, had that patch made, and he shares this, and it's so good. We've been having coffee pre-quarantine. We get together and hang out and have a cup of coffee. It's been years now. Um, and he made this patch, and it actually comes from this verse in Romans 12. There's a, there's a version of the Bible that um, in, in verse 16, Romans 12, 16, don't be proud, don't be wise in your own estimation. It's the, the version says, don't be the big somebody. Okay, and so he bought me this patch, and he's like, listen, every time you look at that, you're going to remember, don't be the big somebody. That sums this up so well. And so I, I, I wear that on my backpack and I'm like, wow, that reminds me every time we're together, when we leave, you know what he says to me? Don't be the big somebody. I love that. We've got to be doing that with one another, right? So Romans 12, this passage, boy, you could sit down and go through this and examine, take an examination of, of, of really a personal exam. Is this what my life looks like? Or is it bitter 
and cynical and lacking energy and lacking faith and lacking all this stuff because there's a really good chance that we're trying to follow the world and elevate ourselves above everyone and be the big somebody and to know things. And if we can't be that, maybe we just retreat and hide, okay? And it's this idea of looking at this and going, man, this is what Jesus teaches. These are literally byproducts of the presence of Jesus. This is what we would see in Jesus as his disciples. We would learn these things. This isn't Paul making up a list of things that he just like had a great quiet time one day and listed these. These are the very essence of who Jesus is, okay? And remember, going back, you can flip back to Luke chapter 6. Again, if you want an umbrella over Jesus' teachings here, okay? If you want to like package everything under this, you can look back in Luke 6 verse 31, okay? Because this is very like popular, okay? It's good. Jesus says this, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. All right, there's that umbrella of Jesus saying, just, just as you want others to do to you, this is active, do to them. All right, this isn't passive. This isn't like, I don't want people to do things to me, so I won't do things to other people. No, no, no. He's saying, actually, think of how you want people to interact and love and forgive and give and take care of and share and help deal with sin. Now do the same with them, okay? That's a great kind of blanket, kind of overview umbrella of this. And I want to finish up with this Old Testament, 2 Kings. You can turn over to 2 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 22. Because again, I want to highlight for us uh, that this takes more than just hoping to get better. This takes more than, boy, I'm going to work on this tomorrow. Or, wow, I'm really convicted today about this, and I'm going to talk about it for a couple days. This is going to take such intense scrutiny and repentance, and not just looking inward at us, but the answer is really looking into Jesus, okay? Because again, remember, we're not trying to fix this on our own. We're trying to replace the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and how he's treated us with all of this junk inside of us, okay? And I love this in 2 Kings 22 because you see this king, okay, just this King Josiah, and this is so helpful to me when I think of, of, of having just this heart of repentance. Um, so Josiah, um, he became king when he was eight years old, okay? You got to think about that. That should put a little smile on your face because you're going, really? Like a third grader was the king of Israel, okay? Um, wow. So anyway, um, you know, as he grows up, he's like, the temple needs to be cleaned a little bit, guys. Like, you know, we're all, this is, we're not really taking good care of this place. And, and so he goes and he, uh, he tells the guys, go and clean up, Cl- clean up all this mess, okay? And then in verse 8, um, Hilkiah, the high priest, told Shaphan, the court secretary, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple, Okay, so it's kind of like maybe even in your house, okay, is this idea of it might be a big old mess. And one day you find, you go, man, there's the, there's, there's the Bible. There's my Bible. It hadn't been opened in years. It hadn't been opened in months. It hadn't been opened in weeks, okay? This is what's going on with Josiah. His guys are cleaning out the closets in the temple, and they're like, oh, man, this looks important, okay? And so anyway, they read it. So Shaphan goes to the king. He's like, let me read this to you, okay? Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, Okay, he was so moved by this. 
And he commanded the priest, and he commanded the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, the court secretary, the king's servant, Isaiah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people, and all Judah. He said, listen, before we do anything else, guys, we've got to pray. Like, go and do that, okay? I'm going to pray. You pray. Let's pray because we found something and oh my goodness, we probably haven't been living according to it. Okay. He said, go inquire of the Lord, go and pray, go and ask the instruction for great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors haven't obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. He's like, guys, change has to happen, okay? It's like he realized my arm is stuck under this 600-pound boulder. Something's got to change here, okay? And so, you know, they go through all of that. And then I love this right here in verse um, 18. Jump on down to, um, say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. This is what he said to Josiah. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you. This is the Lord's declaration. I love it. The heart of Josiah of looking at the word of God and instead of being defensive, he owned it. Instead of being defensive and trying to talk around it, he's like, things have to change. His heart was tender. He tore his clothes. He wept before the Lord. All right. So let's have that heart. Okay. As we're taking our communion today, um, these are things I, I, I really do. I feel like the first step in this is really a courageous personal assessment. And again, it isn't for us to get so inward focused, okay? Because remember in Luke 6, 37, he said, be really good at forgiving and giving, okay? That's like coming out. You know, there's this thing that we do in church sometimes, and you may have thought this before of, I need to find a church that meets my needs, okay? And it's really interesting because we think we know what our needs are. We're, we're reading right here. Jesus knows what our needs are. Our needs are to give to others and forgive. That's what our needs are. Our, our needs are selfish, okay? Jesus is like, I'll take care of you. I know what you need. But the greatest need is dealing with your heart, repenting because you're going to be able to see things differently. So as we take our communion today, really would encourage you to take some time, more than just a few minutes, even if you have to go off somewhere and kind of get some time together to just get your thoughts in order and go through Romans 12 and reread Luke 6 and get this idea of repentance. And then maybe come together with brothers and sisters or your family and just really share about this and really share your repentance and moving forward and let's spur one another on day after day after day. So I hope this is helpful. Hope your Sunday is fantastic. Love you guys a ton. Can't wait till we're back together again.